If uh, the, the aliens like manufactured you to be uh, a nah. mixed martial arts fighter, they're like, let's see if we could just turn. This I'm sure. Into I would, a bad it, I'm sure if it would have happened, I would have been much better than than, than this. Much know? better than this. You're the fucking champion. What are yeah, you talking but about? if I would be alien manufacturer, I would be a <laughs> Superman. You know. Hello, ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, aliens, Martians, any conscious beings tuning into the podcast. I welcome you to episode 47 of Martian Mixed Martial Arts. This week, we will be analyzing and predicting the UFC on ESPN Plus card coming up on Saturday, February 2nd, 2019, going down in Fortaleza, Brazil. Uh, at the end of the program, we will also be recapping the UFC on ESPN Plus One event, headlined by uh, TJ Dillashaw versus Henry Cejudo. Also be recapping the Bedor, or, uh, Bellator 214 event and discussing uh, the recent uh, John Jones drug test failure again and the suspensions of Khabib uh, and Connor for the UFC 229 incident. So we will be analyzing and predicting this week's card coming up first and then we will be transitioning to last week's card, the Bellator card and the recent uh, events in the world of mixed martial arts. But starting things off in Fortaleza, Brazil this Saturday, February 2nd, this card is getting an early start and the prelims are starting at 4 or if excuse me 5 p.m and the main card kicks off at 8 p.m so the the fight should wrap up around 11 p.m that'll be a nice little change uh, on the and all 13 fights will be taking place on espn 13 for this card so we're going to start things off in the flyweight division. We have Magomed Biblatov, who is 14 and 1, taking on Hojiro Bontarin, who is also 14 and 1. The betting line for this one opened up. Looking over at our affiliated sportsbook, Five Dimes, we have Biblatov minus 405 as the favorite and Bontarin at plus 285 as the dog. Now we see Biblatov at minus 470 with Bontarin up to plus 375. So. Even more action coming in on Biblatov, even as the heavy favorite. And I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with this one a little bit. I think this line is set a little bit too high. I think I would cap Biblatov right around minus 300. He is going to be I believe the be the better fighter in the octagon. He uh he has a little bit of suspect defense though. He got caught by uh, John Moraga in their fight, another fight where he was a huge uh, five to one favorite and ended up getting uh, that huge upset in that fight. So. Uh, he, he's definitely not a perfect fighter. He's got a little bit of uh, defense issues and maybe even chin problems. And he does not check light kicks too well either, uh, Biblatov. So, uh, and, but he does have good takedowns and this good ground game. He is, uh, you know, he does have good striking dis despite his, you know, uh, suspect defense. He is a pretty well-rounded mixed martial arts fighter, and I think he should be the favorite. But I just really can't trust him all the way down to minus 470. His opponent, Hojiro Bontarin, is making his uh, UFC de debut. 
view in this one. He uh, did have a bout on the uh, Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series where he beat Gustavo Gabriel by rear naked choke in a pretty impressive fight. However, he was uh, he was rocked pretty badly in that fight. Uh, he was dropped with the right hand and luckily ended up recovering, uh, taking his opponent down and finishing him a few minutes later. But nevertheless, we saw that his defense and his chin are both suspect in this one. So these both of these guys I think are a bit chinny. They're a bit uh, their defense is a bit spotty. So I could see one of them you know catching the chin in this one. But I definitely would not trust uh, Bibliotov all the way at minus 470. If I had to pick up uh, something on this one, I would, you know, go with like uh, fight doesn't go the distance at plus money or the under at uh, plus 175. So those are both uh, decent lines there. So the pick is going to be Bibliotov in this one. Moving on to the next fight in the bantamweight division, we have Ricardo Hamos taking on Said Nurmagomedov. The betting line for this one opened up looking over at our affiliated sportsbook five dimes. Saeed Nurmagomedov as the minus 185 favorite. Ricardo Hamos as the plus 145 dog. The line has since flipped. Hamos now minus 140 and Nurmagomedov up to plus 170. I'm going to agree with the line movement in this one. Pretty crazy, crazy opening line. Considering, you know, how these two gentlemen's UFC careers have started. You know, Saeed Nurmagomedov on one hand. Looking really lackluster in his debut, uh, winning a split decision over Justin Scoggins, a highly disputed uh, decision in that one. A lot of people thought Scoggins won that fight. I watched it this week, and I agree that he did. Uh, Scoggins was, you know, really uh, using his kick game, uh, had a really good range going on, and Nurmagomedov looked pretty sloppy with his takedowns. He he did not look like he had, you know, much uh, going on the feet. He just wouldn't really set his takedowns up at all. He would just be grasping from a really far distance. But he did get uh, one takedown in that fight, and I think he did, uh, you know, hold position pretty well for that time being. So he does have good top control if he can get it. But his opponent, Ricardo Hamos, has a very good takedown defense, and he's got some, uh, you know, good get-up skills once he gets taken down. He was taken down by uh, 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 Kang in his last fight, and uh, he was able to pop back up to his feet pretty uh, quickly in that one. I think Hamos will be the better striker in this matchup. He just looks more comfortable. Uh, Saeed is very uh, awkward on the feet and just really doesn't have much uh, technique, honestly. So I think Hamos will be the better striker. I think he'll be able to stuff the takedowns. And I'm going to see uh, Ricardo Hamos uh, getting a decision win in this one. Moving on to the next fight in the featherweight division. Two gentlemen making their UFC debuts. We have... Geraldo de Freitas, who is 11 and 4, taking on Felipe Corrales, who is 8 and 0. Or it's Calaris, excuse me, Felipe Calaris. The betting line for this one opened up at just looking over at our affiliated sportsbook five dimes. Geraldo de Freitas, minus 135. Uh, Felipe Calaris at minus 105. Since then, the line is now uh, Defritis minus 130, Felipe Calaris at plus 110. So two gentlemen making their UFC debut in this one. So not much take, uh, not much uh, footage on these two gentlemen. Pretty hard to come by, you know, maybe one or two of their uh, full fights on YouTube. But, you know, just a lot of highlights and uh, kind of hard to get a good sense of uh, where these gentlemen are in their career. But 
I did my best and did a little bit of research. So what I came up with is uh, DeFreitas has a nice nice jab going for him. He's got some good uh, takedowns and some good takedown defense. But his striking is, uh, besides the decent jab, he doesn't have much going. He's got some pretty suspect defense. And, um, you know, that could be uh, exposed. Except for his opponent, Kolaris has pretty sloppy striking as well. Um, you know, and he's another uh, another ground specialist. I think both of these gentlemen uh, are specialized in, uh, you know, their jujitsu games. So uh, it'll be interesting to see where this fight plays out. I think that they're both going to be super sloppy and swinging on the feet. So they could, you know, really connect with one another and uh, go for a knockdown or knockout on the feet. But I think this fight will end up on the ground. It'll have some good scrambles. Um... And you know it's really really tough to make a pick because like I said it's it's I'm, I I mean I like I said I watched some the, the footage on them I wrote some notes down on them but honestly I, I can't really picture you know uh, these two gentlemen in my head right now because we haven't really seen them in that UFC uh, octagon yet so um, the, I guess the pick I'll lean uh, the favorite to Freitas's way but you know not even confident to the slightest bit in this one. And the next fight in the heavyweight division, we have Junior Albini, who is 14-4, taking on Jairzino Rosenstruik. Man, that's that's one of the hardest names that has ever uh, been on the Martian MMA program, I'll tell you that. Looking over at the bet, opening betting lines, we have Junior Albini as the plus 100 underdog, Jairzino Rosenstruik as the minus 140 favorite looking over at our affiliated sportsbook five dimes right now Rosenstruik is up to plus 100 and albini is the minus 120 favorite so a little bit of line flip in this one uh you know i'm sure money is coming in on both uh both gentlemen in this one i've seen the line you know go from minus 115 um pick them to minus 110 and you know it's going all over the place so a lot of money coming in on both of these guys it's a really close matchup it's you know i think the closest bet you know we have a couple pick them fights on the card but I, man this is one of the closest matchups in this one uh junior albini has had some ufc experience he's i believe three and one let's uh, check his record out right now he has wins over uh, Tim Johnson. Oh no, he's he's one and two. Excuse me. Yeah, off to a slow start for him. So, he uh, last fight he got e- Ezekiel choked on the feet from Alexi Olenek. A fight that he was he was loot or that Albini was winning and he somehow still managed to get uh, choked on the feet with one of the most obvious submissions in you know in jujitsu. It's really really. Uh, amazing, especially because Alexi Olenek has 10 Ezekiel chokes before, and Albini was completely clueless to, to the choke coming on, so that really shows a lack of, you know, knowledge in his opponents. I mean, if a guy has a bread and butter signature move, and he tries that move on you, and you have no idea it's coming, man, you, you're doing something really, really wrong, especially if you're a pro fighter in the UFC at this point, so, you know, I really question his, uh, his, preparation uh, albini honestly he fought andre arlovsky uh you know a guy who's 40 years old it was you know coming off of i think like he i think arlovsky might have broken his losing streak i think he was on like a four fight losing streak and he and he finally broke out of the mud on uh, with a win over albini uh if i'm correct let's uh, pulling up his record right now um yeah he was on a a five fight losing streak and he fights albini and he wins the fight by unanimous decision so man albini has been really really underwhelming he is you know he's got some decent boxing he's got you know some power in his hands he definitely you know knows how to box 
But uh, he's going to be going against Rosenstruck, who is, you know, a kickboxer. I think his record's like 75 and 6 or something like that. He's an absolute beast in kickboxing. But, uh, you know, that really, you know, that sometimes does not translate well to MMA. You know, you got those big 10-ounce gloves on. You used to, you're used to high garden or you're used to a specific type of defense. And then all of a sudden in MMA, those 4-ounce gloves, that defense doesn't work anymore. We saw that against uh, Gokan Saki, you know, he, a, a guy with 100 kickboxing fights, one of the best kickboxers of all time. And he goes in there against, you know, an average MMA fighter and he gets knocked out cold by a straight left hand. It, some These things just happen. So... Albini could certainly clip Rosenstruck on the feet. You know, I think Rosenstruck will be the better striker, though. He, I think he'll be using his kicks to keep uh, Albini at range. Uh, but Albini is going to try to get this fight to the floor. Uh, Rosenstruck being that kickboxer, his jiu-jitsu is clearly his weakness. He is really hopeful off his, uh, hopeless off his back. He was taken down uh, by uh, Andre Kovalev in their fight in Ryzen. He's, he was bad takedown defense. Um, so... You know, it, if this fight gets to the ground, uh, I think Rosenstroke, it's pretty much over for him. He would either lose the round, clearly, or get submitted. But, man, Albini does not have a good wrestling game. He has a decent clinch game where he can, you know, push you against the cage and maybe go for a takedown that way. But, man, he does not have much wrestling chops at all. He can maybe catch a kick from uh, Rosenstroke. Who knows? There are a lot of things about this fight. Albini has started going to American Top Team, one of the best gyms in the world. So hopefully he has a little more coaching behind uh, behind him in this one. But he's only been going there for a few weeks, so you really don't know if they had enough time to you know get comfortable with their their new fighter and you know uh, develop a game plan. You know they have you know dozens and dozens of fighters probably scheduled to fight right now. Uh, let alone on the entire roster. So uh, hopefully he's getting a good amount of attention over there. I'm going to pick uh, Rosenstroke in this one, man. I just can't pick Albini. He's just too much of a wimp. Uh, you know, he's wearing his diapers in the octagon. Like his, his, his shorts look like diapers. He's, uh, you know, quite a character. But I'm going to pick Rosenstroke to, uh, you know, get a knockout on the feet in this one. Next fight in the women's flyweight division we have mara romero barella who is 11 and 5 taking on talia santos who is 15 and 5 the betting line for this one opened up talia santos as the minus 210 favorite mara romero barella as the plus 160 underdog looking over at our affiliated sportsbook five dimes.eu we now see barella as the plus 145 underdog talia santos as minus 165 so line margins have tightened up in this one i'm going to agree with the line movement in this one i think setting uh talia santos at minus 215 was a little bit too steep although i do think that uh santos should be the favorite i think the barella has a, a good chance of winning this fight you know, Santos is a, uh, looks like she's got a, a very uh, kickboxing oriented style. Uh, she's got really nice kicks, man. She's got power behind her kicks, she, really nice leg kicks too. And uh, she really fights behind a jab. She uses teep kicks well. She's got a really solid, you know, Muay Thai background. Could be kickboxing too, I'm not really sure. But she, she you know, she fights in like a Muay Thai oriented stance. The only issue with uh, Santos is that uh, she has fought terrible competition. You look through this woman's resume and all of her opponents, 0-0, zero 0-1, and 3-1, zero, zero and 0-1, and one, zero and zero, zero and one, uh, you know, she, it's, it's incredible. You know, most of her fights, she are, uh, let's see, she has 15 wins, right? 
14 of her opponents don't have more than five pro fights. But um, to give her a little bit of credit, she did fight a woman by the name of Estefani Almeida on the Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series, who was 7-1. and one. And she did win that fight pretty convincingly. She uh, beat her up on the feet. Was you know like I said using her kick game, and she was able to take her opponents back, uh, get a nice takedown, and got close to a rear naked choke. But uh, Almeida showed some nice defense in that one and was able to escape. But she uh, you know looks like she's very well rounded. Uh, is Santos? But uh, you know I've been uh, you know a little bit impressed by Mar Barella. Honestly, she fought uh, Caitlin Chukagian in her last fight. You know pretty. Uh, pretty experienced kickboxer Chukagian, a, a very good fighter of her own right. And Barella really hung in there. Uh, I was surprised. She, uh, I was really expecting Chukagian to uh, outstrike her easily. But, uh, you know, Barella was, you know, in her face. She was trying to close the distance. She was throwing a lot of punches. She was being active. Looks like she had a good gas tank behind her. Um, and she even, you know, uh, was chasing some takedowns a little bit for, uh, you know, trying to initiate the grappling. Wasn't too successful with the, the takedowns, though. She she might have gotten her down. Uh, yeah, I wrote it down. Um, she went for a takedown once. She got it. and But but she almost got triangled by Chukagian, who is a blue belt, I believe. You know, she's a blue belt at Henzo Gracie's, which is one of the, the best jiu-jitsu schools in uh, the world. But... Nevertheless, a blue belt. It's gonna be. A, it's a little bit of a worrisome that she almost got triangle. I'm telling. It was close, man. She really got, really got close to getting submitted. So uh, I, uh, I don't really know the the what a belt Santos is in jujitsu. Although she does have a you know a lot of win by uh, a few wins by submission. I wouldn't say a lot. And she, like I said, she just showed some good grappling in her last fight with Almeida. So. You know, I think this fight is, you know, where the line is set at now seems seems pretty accurate. Although, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see um, uh, Barella pull off the upset in this one to get the dog win. But I'm going to side with the, the, the pick, uh, excuse me, side with the favorite in Santos. I think she's just slightly more well-rounded. And I think that she will get the win in this one in a pretty fun fight. Next fight takes place in the welterweight division. We have Thiago Alves, who is 22 and 13, taking on Max Griffin, who is 14 and 5. Taking a look at the opening betting line for this one, Max Griffin as the minus 230 favorite, Thiago Alves as the plus 170 underdog. Looking over at our affiliated sportsbook, 5dimes.eo, we now see Max Griffin at minus 200 to Thiago Alves at plus 170. So, not much movement coming in on this one. Uh, I, I'm going to disagree with where it's set at. I think Thiago Alves is uh, you know, a much closer um, underdog than plus 170. I would really cap uh, you know, Max Griffin at maybe, oh man, maybe minus 130. But I, I could see it at being a pick him at minus 120 for both, both gentlemen. I just really think this one's a close matchup. Max Griffin is a pretty well-rounded fighter. He has you know, very good striking. He's also got a little bit of wrestling to uh, go along with it. Um, he took his opponent Curtis Melender down in his last fight in the first round, but wasn't able to get his takedowns going in the latter rounds and uh, lost that fight on the feet to the better uh, striker in Melender in that one. But we've seen Griffin, uh, you know, outstrike uh, Mike Perry uh, pretty recently. Um, and, uh, you know, he's fought some pretty good competition in the UFC, you know, Colby Covington, uh, uh, Zaleski Dos Santos. So he's, uh, and he's, you know, hung, hung with those guys pretty well. Um, he had a close, uh, close fight with Zaleski, uh, kickboxing match in that one. But, uh, Thiago Alves has looked really good lately, even though he's, uh, you know, a, a, 
very old veteran. You know, he's been been in the UFC maybe 12 years or something like that. If I scroll back on his record, let's see when his, uh, his first UFC fight was. 2005. Holy shit. 14 years in the UFC for Diago Alves. Um, he, uh, let's see, he got was uh, knocked out by Melender in his, in his uh, second most recent fight. He also, he, but he hung really well with Alexei Konchenko in that fight. Alexei Konchenko, uh, you know, a Russian fighter, making his debut in Russia in that fight. A lot of people thought that he might have gotten a little bit of a hometown decision. But I thought Thiago Alves looked exceptional in that fight. He was, you know, Konchenko was a pretty highly uh, touted prospect. And Thiago came in and gave him a really tough fight. Uh, and, you know, Konchenko looked really good since then, you know, beating Yushin Okami and everything with his really impressive wrestling. So I think that uh, Thiago Alves' uh, takedown defense is, is, is really good. I think that he um, will uh, stuff the shots of uh, Max Griffin in this one. And I think that uh, the, the striking in this one is going to be close, man. Alves still has really good power. He's got great leg kicks. And uh, I think this one's going to be a really close uh, striking exchange on the feet. And, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to uh, pick Alves to win because I think Griffin will fade in the later rounds. And I think that Alves will just win the, will outpoint uh, Griffin in a kickboxing match. But, um, you know, plus 170 on Thiago Alves, that's great value right now. That line has been like that all week, and I really can't believe it. I've seen a lot of people on Alves. I think this is a good matchup for, for him, and I think it's a, a funny for him to win. So the pick is going to be the underdog, Alves, to get the win. The next fight takes place in the middleweight division. We have Marcus Perez, who is 10-2, taking on Anthony Hernandez, who is 6-0. The betting line for this one opened up. Anthony Hernandez as the favorite at minus 245. Marcus Perez as the underdog at plus 175. Looking over at our affiliated sportsbook, 5dimes.eu. Anthony Hernandez is currently minus 155 with Marcus Perez at plus 135. So line margins tightening up in this one. I agree with where the line uh, has gone. I think the opening line was set a little bit too high for Hernandez. You know, we've seen this trend happen a lot in the UFC lately. A guy who's looked really good on the Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series, you know, got a quick knockout or something like that. And then he uh, comes into his first UFC fight as a pretty big favorite against, uh, you know, a guy who's got some UFC experience. Uh, I don't know the official statistics on it, but I would I would happily side with the person who's got a little bit of UFC experience under their belt coming in uh, against the new newcomer. Uh, so Anthony Hernandez had a really impressive knockout of uh, Jordan Wright on the Tuesday Night Contender Series, and then he was suspended for marijuana. I think he got like nine months for having weed in his system, uh, maybe less than that, maybe six months. But but well, that that. Ugh. Not even going to talk about that. So, uh, luckily, he's finally getting a shot in the UFC in this one against a pretty scrappy guy in Marcus Perez. Uh, Marcus Perez is a you know he's a good wrestler. I think he closes distance really well. He you know he's, he's able to negate people's striking by you know pushing them up against the cage and you know trying to grind you out and get takedowns, get top position. So, uh, you know, I think that he will uh, definitely be doing that in this fight against Hernandez. I think Hernandez is kind of a, you know, a wild, powerful striker. He's definitely got some nice uh, some nice hands. 
I think that uh, if this fight stays at range and he's and Perez is not able to close the distance, he's got a good shot at you know winning this fight either by a decision or you know by testing that chin of Perez. But I think Perez can take a shot pretty well, and I think that he is you know pretty scrappy. He likes getting these uh, getting in like you know grinding type of fights, and I think he's going to make that uh, this type of fight. So I think that Hernandez could get uncomfortable in there really quickly. I think that uh, the longer this fight goes, the the better the shot uh, Perez has at winning. I could see him getting a finish in maybe the second or third round if he's able to get top position and uh, wear Hernandez out. Um, Hernandez has uh, never been out of the first round. No, he has one decision win. So, uh, you know, but I'm sure his cardio is, you know, not up to par uh, with, you know, he's a, a, a first round knockout type of guy. So, you know, those guys always kind of rely on that knockout and they don't really, uh, they don't really... Uh, trust their cardio too much so I think Perez a guy who's you know been to the di been to the distance a lot in the UFC I think that he will uh, you know drag this fight out and I think that uh, he will get the win either by decision or late finish in this one so the pick is going to be the underdog Marcus Perez moving on to the main card of the night we have Livia Hinata Souza who is 12 and 1 taking on Sarah Frota who is nine and oh the betting line for this one opened up livia renata souza as the minus 185 favorite to sarah frota at plus 145 the betting line is now souza minus 220 frota up to plus 180 on our affiliated sportsbook five dimes.eu uh man I'm really surprised with where the line has gone in this one i think that uh this one is much closer than what the line is set at now I think that the underdog Sarah Frota in this one is, uh, you know, a huge underdog to be to be looking at. She's uh, both of these women are really really similar. They both have you know powerful striking. They like to march forward, use pressure, you know, make their opponents uncomfortable. They both have you know good ground games. They're both black belts in jujitsu, so you know they like you know landing some powerful strikes on the floor, dumping you to the ground, landing some ground and pound, going for a sub. You know they're they're really similar. Uh, you know they're almost like carbon copies of one another. Two Brazilian women. You know really really great records. They're coming in here with a you know a lot of momentum. This one's going to be a really good fight. I'm really looking forward to it. Their you know their styles are meant to clash. They're going to be you know trading blow for blow. You know these these women hit hard. So uh, you know you can you can watch some of their some of their fights. Even even for uh, women strawweights, man, these girls hit hard. Um, so I expect honestly Sarah Frota to, to be marching uh, marching forward, landing the harder shots. I think she's a little bit better defensively than Souza. I think that's going to come in key here. I think that she's going to be you know not. I think that he, when they get in that firefight of punches, which they will, I think Frota will pay a little more attention to defense, while Souza will let the emotion get the best of her. And uh, the pick is going to be the underdog Sarah Frota in this one. And, uh, you know, plus 180, man, that's great value on uh, the dog in this one. Next fight in the light heavyweight division, we have Justin Ledette, who is 9-1, taking on Johnny Walker, who is 15-3. The betting line for this one opened up Justin Ledette as the plus 280 underdog to Johnny Walker as the minus 400 favorite. Since then, live margins have tightened up looking over at Five Dimes Sportsbook, our affiliated sportsbook. Uh, we have... Justin Ledette at plus 175 to Johnny Walker at minus 210. So a lot of money coming on Ledette since where the line opened up originally. I, I agree with that. I mean, I think it was set a little too high, minus 400 for Walker. You know, uh, but 
uh, I really I really favor uh, Johnny Walker in this matchup. You know, Justin Ledet just really has not impressed me. He is three and one in the UFC, but man, his wins looked you know they look pretty. Uh, they're they're over some pretty low level competition. Chase Sherman, Mark Godbeer, and Zhu Aniwa. So um, you know, pretty low level competition as far as heavyweights go. And then he got absolutely mauled by Alexander Rachik in his last fight. He dropped down to light heavyweight, and then was just absolutely like, ab- got the brakes beaten off of uh, him. He he does not check leg kicks very well. He does not uh, get off his back very well. He does not defend takedowns very well. So he's got a lot of weaknesses. Uh, does Justin Ledet? He does. He Ledet is a good boxer. He's got you know power in his hands. He's got a good jab. But uh, even his boxing, his defense is a little bit suspect. I think he was getting tagged by Rachek with some really hard punches. He, he got really tired towards the end of that fight. So, you know, Johnny Walker is, you know, he's got great Muay Thai. He beat the shit out of Cleo Roundtree in his last fight. You know, just showing off some crazy knees and elbows in that one. He's got a great, uh, you know, clinch. However, his defense and his chin are, you know, a bit suspect. He's been knocked out in the, you know, his earlier pro MMA days. And, uh, you know, he could definitely get caught with one of uh, Ledet's power punches if he's not careful. So, you know, even though Walker is, you know, a Muay Thai specialist, man, the game plan is is clear as day for this one. If he if he wants to win this fight safe, he would take Ledet down, grind him out uh, for a couple rounds, and then maybe go for the finish in the third round or just win a, a decision comfortably. But I really don't expect Walker to do that. He is a madman. I think he will want to, you know, stand and trade in this one and try to get him a Ledet out of there in the first round. But, man, that would be that would be risky. I, I, I still would favor Walker in a firefight because he's just so much, uh, you know, um, he has more attacks, you know, he has, he's got better kicks, I believe, better knees, better elbows, he really uses all eight of his limbs, while Ledette is really just a boxer, so uh, if if Walker uh, chooses to chop down his legs, you know, take down his opponent, I think that would be great, I think he would be, you know, minus, you know, 900 if I knew he was coming in with a wrestling game plan, but the fact that he might go out there and, you know, get in that firefight and throw caution to the wind, and, uh, you know, entertain the shit out of us i shit i don't mind you know that that'd be great um but uh you know still i'm gonna side with walker in this one yeah you know where the line is set at is you know right now is uh you know a shit man i, I think on walker minus 210 that's that's pretty safe i i would really trust walker in this one i would be pretty shocked to see ledette knock out uh walker his, his he just you know for a guy whose boxing is his specialty his hands just aren't really that good you know he does not have many tools so the pick is going to be uh, Johnny Walker in this one. Next fight in the featherweight division, excuse me, in the lightweight division, we have Charles Oliveira, who is 25 and 8, taking on David Tamer, who is 8 and 1. The betting line for this one opened up Oliveira as the minus 145 favorite, David Tamer at plus 105. Looking over at our affiliated sportsbook, 5dimes.eu, right now we see Oliveira as the minus 115 favorite to Tamer at minus 105. So really close fight in this one. There has been a ton of action coming in on this fight. At one point, Charles Oliveira was up to like plus 150. He got as high as plus 175 at one point. That's insane. 
you know, uh, uh, so when the line came out as Oliveira was the favorite, uh, a ton of money came in on Tamer and pushed him to the favorite. And then since then, the uh, uh, you know, uh, an even amount of money has come in on both of them. And they're both sitting around to pick them right now. It just shows you how close this fight is. It's going to be a great one. You know, uh, Charles Oliveira, most submissions in UFC history, you know, one of the best grapplers to ever, uh, you know, come in the sport. Uh, he's taking on David Tamer, you know, one of the best strikers in the UFC right now. He's got incredible Muay Thai. He's a pro Muay Thai fighter uh, before the UFC. He's got good cardio. He's got good takedown defense. Um, you know, he... he he does, you know, a lot of stuff right. He he, he uses his distance great to avoid uh, striking. You know, there are some guys who who only, uh, you know, their takedown defense is their kickboxing and how good they are at, at using range. And that uh, Tamer is one of those uh, guys. But it's gonna be it's gonna be very difficult for Tamer to keep Oliveira off of him. You know, Oliveira is pretty relentless with his wrestling. He, uh, you know, he's got good wrestling for for a grappler of a. Uh, uh, so I think that he does have a good chance of getting this fight to the floor. It, it really just matters how good Tamer is at getting back to his feet. Um, you know, he he is uh, pretty good at getting back to his feet if he gets taken down. Uh, we but we just have not seen much takedown or much of his uh, grappling abilities in the UFC. We did see it in his last fight against Nick Lenst, uh, you know, a wrestler who was trying to take him down off fight, and he was able to avoid all that and win a decision pretty comfortably. So he could replicate that game plan. But I think Oliveira is a little bit better of a fighter than Nick Lenst. So. This one's going to be wicked close. It really all matters where this fight goes. If it stays on the feet, I think Tamer will finish Oliveira. Uh, you know, Oliveira does not really uh, fare too well when he faces adversity. He usually, you know, uh, wilts at the first sign of, you know, things not going right. So if he isn't able to get this takedown and he's getting butchered on the feet, I expect Tamer to finish him in maybe the second or the third round. But if Oliveira takes Tamer down, then I really uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be difficult for T Tamer to get back to the feet, and I see Oliveira getting the submission. So if I have to pick a side on this one, man, I'm gonna go with Oliveira. I just think he will get the. Uh, I don't think Tamer's takedown defense is good enough. I don't think his grappling is good enough to avoid Oliveira. Uh, you know, Oliveira just submitted a black belt in uh, in uh, Jim Miller. So. It's going to be really, really difficult for Tamer to avoid the grappling in this one. And I will be pretty impressed if Tamer is uh, able to pull off the win. So the pick is going to be Charles Oliveira. Next fight in the welterweight division, we have Damian Maya, who is 25 and 25-9, taking on Lyman Good, who is 20-4. The betting line for this one opened up minus, Damian Maya as the minus-155 favorite to Lyman Good as the plus-115 underdog. Since then, a little bit of money coming in on Damian Maya pushing him to minus 175, while Lyman Good is up to plus 155. Um, Damian Maya, man, still chugging at the age of 41, taking on a much younger opponent in Lyman Good. Uh, you know, Tiger Showman, fighter Lyman Good. He's coming off of a very nice knockout over Ben Saunders. Damian Maya coming off of three straight losses against, you know, three fucking killers, uh, Tyron Woodley. Uh, Colby Covington and Kamara Usman, you know, three of the best welterweights in the world. Just no slack in that one. Didn't get finished by any of them, though. He, uh, you know, he's very, very hard to finish. The last time Damian Maya was finished was by Nate Marquardt uh, around 10 years ago. So, 
Mai is really really hard to finish, but he he takes a lot of damage. He he again in that fight against Colby Covington, he you know was beaten within an inch of his life. If that fight, you know, if that fight went to the fourth round, it probably would have been stopped in the corner by Maya. He he would not have been able to continue anymore. His face is a bloody mess. Uh, so you know, and Maya, his takedowns, you know, he's one of the best submission uh, mess jujitsu uh, fighters in the in the UFC history. But man, his wrestling is just so lackluster in his last three fights he's 0 for 49 on takedowns 0 for 49 that's like an infamous statistic at this point he shot for takedowns 49 times and all 49 times he was unsuccessful so he's obviously going to be trying to get this fight to the floor his striking is not very good it's you know it's it's competent but it's just not a lime good will be the much better crisper more powerful striker in there if this fight remains on the feet i i can see good possibly testing that chin of damian maya and getting the finish or i could see him just you know out striking maya towards a decision playing it safe trying not to get taken down which is much much more likely which is basically what uh uh, you know, Usman did basically what uh, all three of his opponents did, you know, just sprawl and brawl. Every time uh, uh, Maya shoots, sprawl, and then, you know, try to land a couple punches in between, you know. So I don't think Lyman will be throwing many kicks in this one. It, it just as, you know, that's an opportunity for Maya to catch a kick and end, end up getting this fed on the floor. He uh, doesn't. He does throw a lot of good leg kicks, and you know he's got powerful kicks. But he he has really good boxing. I think that Lyman Good could win this fight with his boxing alone. If his takedown defense is on point, uh, I see Lyman Good winning this fight. Uh, you know, and if Damian Maya is able to get the takedown in this one, I I can see him controlling D Lyman Good on the ground and getting that submission. So the pick, I'm gonna go with Lyman Good. I just I, I trust Lyman Good way more at this point in his career. Uh, so it, like it basically comes down to who has prepared better, Lyman Good's takedown defense or Damian Maya's takedowns. I'm going to go with Lyman Good, the guy who's you know came into the UFC much more recently. He's you know 33 years old, could be in a, it looks like he's in his athletic prime honestly. While Damian Maya is way way past his prime, 41 years old. Uh, you know he his he he could be fighting for his his career at this point. Uh, three losses in a row could be his fourth one. So I'm just gonna side with Lyman Good. I'm gonna trust him a little bit more, and the pick is going to be Lyman Good to get the upset. In the co-main event of the evening in the featherweight division, we have Jose Aldo, who is 27 and four, taking on Hinato Moiscano, who is 13 one and one. The betting line for this one opened up Hinato Moiscano minus 120, Jose Aldo minus 120, a pick'em fight, and. Right now, looking over at our affiliated sportsbook, 5dimes.u, we see Hanato Moiscano at minus 140, Jose Aldo at plus 120. At one point, um, you know, Moiscano got all the way down to minus 180, and then he slowly crept up to 70, 60, 50, 40, 50, and now he's all the way uh, at minus 140. So a lot of early money came in on uh, Moiscano and a lot of uh, the later money coming in on Aldo. I'm going to agree with the late money in this one. Where the line is set at now I think is much more accurate. Shit, I would even really cap it at where the line opened up at minus 120, minus 120. I, I uh, you know, this really seems like a pick 'em type of fight. Maybe even Aldo being the favorite. I just, I really think that Aldo isn't done yet. He's one of the the greatest fighters of all time. We saw him knock out Jeremy Stevens in his last fight with a wicked body shot. You know, heard around the world, one of the best knockouts of 2018. 
you know, he, he didn't look perfect in that fight. He looked a little slow. It looked like he might have gotten caught with a couple of Jeremy Stevens' punches. But he still, you know, he still looked like one of the, the greatest of all time in there. And, you know, right when he thought, right when he we thought he might have been in some trouble, uh, he finishes the fight with a wicked body shot. You know, just shuts down Jeremy Stevens' liver. And, uh, you know, Stevens was on a roll, knocking motherfuckers out coming into that fight. And Aldo went in there and stopped him himself. But Hinato Moiscano is, you know, is one of the best featherweights in the world right now. He's a guy who's, you know, on the come up as one of the best featherweights. While, you know, uh, Aldo might be on the come down as one of the best featherweights. But Moiscano is, you know, he's got a really good jab. He's got really good leg kicks. He understands range really well. He's got great striking. And, you know, he's got really good grappling to go along with it. We saw him drop uh, Swanson and choke him out with a really nice rear naked choke in the first round of, uh, of his fight, uh, his most recent fight. He's got, uh, you know, a lot of rear naked choke finishes. He's got, you know, really good ground, uh, really good grappling. Does Moiscano. He's got wins over Jamie Stevens, Calvin Cater, Cub Swanson. He's, like I said, one of the, he's one of the best uh, featherweights in the world right now. It's going to be a really good fight. I think that, uh, you know, on in terms of fight IQ, I give Jose Aldo the edge, uh, honestly, by a lot. I think Moiscano's fight IQ is actually one of his weaknesses. If you remember that fight against Brian Ortega, a fight he might have been winning, uh, or he definitely was winning the first two rounds. Ortega, he shot for a takedown on Ortega and got his neck snatched, and he got guillotined in the third round of that fight. So... It shows that his IQ might not might not be the the best, and his cardio might also not be the best. This is uh, a three round fight. Luckily, though, if it was five rounds, honestly, I think Aldo would be much more of a favorite. You know, Moiscano never having gone five rounds, and Aldo uh, training for five rounds for most of his career. So. Uh, you know, the I think this fight will be contested on the feet. I don't think Moiscano will be trying to take down Aldo. I think Aldo's got some of the best takedown defense in the history of mixed martial arts. Um, I think that you know they're probably both jujitsu black belts on the ground too. So uh, we really we really do not see Jose Aldo grapple much. Um, so I'd be pretty shocked if this fight ends up on the ground. I think it'll be a really close stand-up exchange. I think that, uh, you know, Moiscano will have to have put on the best performance of his life. You know, he will have to be, you know, like his leg kicks will be on point. His jab will have to be on point. He'll have to be, you know, basically out kickboxing Jose Aldo, who is, you know, one of the greatest MMA fighters of all time. So that's going to be a tough test to tackle for Hinato Moiscano, which is why I have to side with my boy Jose Aldo, one of my favorite fighters of all time. I think that he will win the stand-up exchanges in this fight. And, uh, you know, it's actually a three-round fight. Might actually favor him a little bit at this point in of his career because he's getting up there in age. He doesn't have to worry about going through five-round wars. Uh, he's already gone through his, uh, a lot of wars, as we know. So he could, you know, compact that five-round energy into three rounds and put on an action-packed uh, performance. So I'm going to pick uh, Jose Aldo to win this one. And I, I don't think he'll finish Moicano. I think it'll be a close uh, hard-fought decision that uh, Aldo will slightly edge out. So pick is going to be Aldo. And in the main event of the evening in the bantamweight division, we have Rafael Asuncao, who is 27-5, taking on Marlon Moraes, who is 21-5-1. The betting line for this one opened up Marlon Moraes as the minus 215 favorite to Rafael Asuncao as the plus 165 underdog. Looking over at our 
affiliated sportsbook, fivedimes.eu. We see Marlon Marias at minus 165. Rafael Sunsau is the plus 145 underdog. So uh, these two gentlemen have fought before. It is a rematch. The last fight went down in June of 2017, so a little bit more than 18 months ago. And the winner of that fight was Rafael Asuncao. Um, you know, it, people argued that it was a it was a very highly disputed decision. You know, if you look on MMADecisions.com, you actually have you know like 15 of 18 people scoring the fight for Marias. Something I was pretty shocked by. You know, I watched that fight today, and I really thought that Rafael Asuncao won that fight pretty clearly. He uh, he was you know working a really nice jab in that fight. He landed a couple flush right hands that stunned Marias at the end of the first round and at the beginning of the third round. Two of the most significant shots of the fight came from Marias or came from Asuncao, excuse me. Um, you know, but uh, that was Marias's first fight in the UFC. He you know could have been a little bit conservative, a little bit nervous. You know, going down to Brazil for his first fight. Uh, taking on a fellow Brazilian, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of nerves come along with the situation. But since then, he's looked, you know, great. You know, he's had that. He had a close fight with John Dodson, but uh, you know, after that, he you know went on to you know knock out Aljamain Sterling in the first round with a wicked knee and knock out uh, Jimmy Rivera with a head kick in the first round. So he he's got some of the best knees and kicks honestly in all of the ufc he uses them to counter which is great where he loads the kick up he's got it in the back of his mind and he's just saying wait until he throws that punch and then and he, he's got it loaded up right when his opponent throws that punch he's ready to counter with a kick instead of you know countering with distance or counter with punches like most fighters do he counters with knees or with uh with kicks which is what donald cerrone was doing against alexander hernandez in his last fight uh which worked for him so successfully he was timing that knee every time Alexander Hernandez came in. He had, Cowboy had that knee loaded up, just ready to fire. So I could see that being a uh, very successful from Rice in this one. It, it did have a good bit of success in the first fight, but I, you know. Morass was just a little bit too content to counter in that one. He wasn't really, you know, trying to strike first too much. Um, and I think when he was, Asuncao uh, was countering him and, you know, getting the better of those exchanges. So I really had Asuncao winning that fight pretty comfortably. He clearly won the, the first and the third rounds to me. And I think you could have even given Asuncao the second round, giving that fight 3-0 to Asuncao. So, you know, uh, I really want, I, I really wonder, uh, maybe I should watch the fight more closely and I miss a couple things, but... Uh, you know, based on instinct, I, before I watched the rematch, I was real, or before I watched the first fight, I was leaning Marais's way. I just thought the momentum lately has been clearly in his way. He's gotten those two knockouts in a row, but uh, and you know, if he didn't have that questionable decision to uh, Rafael Asuncao, uh, this man would be on a hell of a win streak, something like 15 fight win streak for Marlon Marais. But you know, speaking of win streaks, Rafael Asuncao in his past like 12 UFC fights, the man is like 11 and one or something like that. We got four, seven. Yeah, he's 11-1 and one in his past 12 fights. And who was his loss to? The champion, TJ Dillashaw. He's beaten really like some of the who's who at, at uh, featherweight. The dude is really, really impressive. Um, so, you know, you really can't count a sunset out. He's one of the most consistent fighters uh, in the UFC, honestly. 11-1, and one, that's, that's not hard to do. That is not easy to do. And... Uh, you know, he's beaten some really good strikers lately. Rob Font, who has looked tremendous. Uh, you know, Aljamain Sterling. You know, these uh, Pedro Munoz. These are guys who are really good strikers uh, and who are doing really well in the UFC right now. And uh, Asuncao beat them, you know, unanimous decision. So, 
Um, I'm, you know, I, earlier in the week, like I said, I think I was siding a bit with Marias, but now at the current price, I really think that a Sun Sound might have a little bit of value on him. He was up to plus 180 earlier in the week. That had value written all over it. I think Marias should be uh, a little bit, uh, a slight favorite in this one, maybe minus 140 to a Sun Sound plus 120, but at plus 145 right now, I still think there's a little bit of value on a Sun Sound. I hope this fight gets to go long. You know, I was really looking forward to Jimmy Rivera and Marlon Marais fighting in and out uh, in, the, in their last fight. But, you know, Marais KO'd him within 30 seconds, so we didn't really get to see them uh, battle too much. So I hope this fight ends up, you know, going to the d decision. We end up seeing, you know, the best out of both gentlemen. I, I expect it to be a close fight, you know, maybe three rounds to two for the winner. But I'm going to side with ha uh, Rafael Sunsa on this one. And, uh, you know, the slight edge maybe to Marias and cardio because he's been scheduled for uh, five rounds now in back-to-back fights. So his cardio might be a little bit better. Asunsa, I think this might be his first fight scheduled for five rounds in the UFC. So that'll be something to look out for, how his cardio holds up in the latter rounds. But this one should be a really good fight. It'll be a great rematch. And the pick is going to be Hafe Asunsa to score the underdog victory in this one. All right, and that will recap the UFC on ESPN Plus 2 card going down this Saturday night in Fortaleza, Brazil on at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on ESPN Plus. With that being said, we are now going to transition to recapping the UFC on ESPN Plus card, the Belter 214 card, and talk about the uh, Nevada State Athletic Commission hearings with John Jones, Khabib Nurmagomedov, and Conor McGregor. So stay tuned for all of that. All right, we're going to start things off with recapping the ESPN plus card the first espn plus card that went down on saturday january 19th 2019 around um two weeks ago the uh you know the event was a great honestly i think we had 10 10 finishes or something like that let's see um yeah 10 finishes uh no 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 nine finishes excuse me so you know just incredible from that perspective we had chance rank counter uh smith Kyle Stewart in the first round, you know, nice nice wrestling and uh, submissions from him. You know, I knew Kyle Stewart wasn't very good, but, man, he looked awful in that fight. Uh, Jeff Neal, you know, outstruck Bilal Muhammad, you know, almost finished Bilal Muhammad. Really, Muhammad shows some crazy toughness to stay alive in that one. But Jeff Neal is just looking, you know, better and better every single fight. His striking is just getting crisper and more powerful and everything. Uh, Dennis Bermudez uh, grinded out a, a tough victory, uh, two wins, to, two rounds to one uh, fight over uh, Tay Edwards, and then retired in the octagon after that. You know, great, great uh, performance from him, and nice to see him retire on a win. He, he went out on a pretty good note. He had a very good UFC career, and uh, luckily he got that win before he could retire. And Tay Edwards just continues to look really lackluster. He, you know, came in to his first UFC fight as a minus 400 favorite. And now, all of a sudden, he's 0-2. We realize he's not very good um, at all. You know, he his, his cardio is bad, his grappling is bad, and his striking is a lot less uh, powerful and, and uh, precise as we thought. Uh, Corey Sandhagen scored a nice armbar finish over Mario Bautista. Um, Alonzo Metafield knocked out Vincius Moreira with, uh, you know, I don't remember what it was. I think it was a punch. Moreira just was able, unable to get the takedowns in that one and looked, uh, got absolutely smushed. 
Joanne Calderwood uh, defeated Aaron Lipsky. Um, really great performance from uh, Calderwood. Uh, came in as an underdog, was able to get top position and win rounds on top. Lipsky just looked really, really underwhelming. Don Cerrone uh, scoring a head kick TKO over Alexander Hernandez. You know, just incredible performance from Cerrone. His his striking was, you know, so accurate. His counter, counter striking, his knees, everything was just great. He was stuffing all the takedowns and, you know, just one of Cerrone's best performances in the past couple of years, honestly. And it came against one of, you know, his best opponents he's fought in the past couple of years in Hernandez. So, a great performance from the, the Cowboy. Glover Teixeira came back from the dead after getting almost knocked out by Carl Roberson and was able to come back and finish him with a triangle choke or an arm triangle choke of his own in that same very first round. Uh, Paige Van Zandt was able to armbar Rachel Ostovich in a very exciting fight. You know, she might have lost the first round of that fight and then uh, was able to secure the armbar in the second round of that fight that had a lot of good grappling exchanges, a lot of back and forth moments. Um, Joseph Benavidez defeated Justin Ortiz via decision. A nice, uh, you know, two rounds to one victory for Benavidez. Uh, you know, it, it seems like he he uh, a rematch with Henry Cejudo will be next for him. I hope that fight gets made. It's definitely a deserving fight. Gregor Gillespie defeated Yancey Medeiros by TKO ground and pound in the second round. Just showed his incredible wrestling, incredible top control, and uh, you know was able to wear Yancey down and get the finish in that one. In in our co-main event and main event had both had a little bit of controversy behind the stoppages. We had Alan Crowder win by disqualification because Greg Hardy kneed him in the face while he was uh, a downed opponent. Um, I don't really think it was intentional from Greg Hardy. I don't think he was looking for a way out. I think he was losing the fight and on his way to losing the fight, but I don't think he decided somehow an illegal strike to disqualify himself would be a good way to get out of the fight. So, you know, all controversy aside, I mean, I think they should just do a rematch, honestly. Uh, you know, Alan Crowder, I think, was on his way to winning that fight. Greg Hardy looked pretty lackluster. His striking did not look, you know, uh, very good. He was, uh, you know, he was just a very overhyped prospect, in my opinion. He, you know, fought a bunch of cans in the beginning and knocked him out in the first round, but the second that, you know, first blitz of cardio was gone, Greg Hardy was, you know, uh, a half of the fighter he used to be. So, uh, nice performance from Alan Crowder. It's a damn shame he had to lose that way because I think he was on the way to winning the, the, the fight anyway. And in the main event of the evening for the flyweight championship, he had Henry Cejudo knock out TJ Dillashaw 32 seconds into the first round. Uh, looked like the fight started off, and TJ wasn't really respecting Suhudo striking very much. Looked like he was trying to feel his opponent out. And Henry, you know, whizzed a kick right by his face. And, uh, you know, and that's when you knew, like, Henry was game. He was, you know, and it looked like to, right away, that first exchange, I was like, oh, man, TJ is not respecting him at all. He's leaning forward. He's, you know, he's just not really, like prepared for for Cejudo to be uh you know blitzing him next thing you know Cejudo lands straight left clips Dillashaw knocks him down Cejudo lands a couple more punches knocks Dillashaw down again and then the last barrage of punches knocks Dillashaw down a third time in like uh the span of a few seconds and then the referee stops in and stops the fight you know, I think it was a pretty a pretty well-timed stoppage. I, w I definitely would not call it an early stoppage. I mean, the dude got dropped 
he got knocked down and then he got dropped two more times with uh you know some ground and pound he was on his way to losing that fight but i mean i guess you could see how i guess you i could see how you could say that it could have gone a little bit longer maybe you know because it was a championship fight because it was champion versus champion it was main event you know it was a guy who had a wrestling background um you know i could see how you could let him take a little bit more punishment um, you know, it sounds a little bit silly, but you know, there, I mean, the guy did train, you know, it was eight weeks for the fight. You, you should, uh, you know, let him go limp or go out before you stop the fight. Even if, you know, even if it looks like he's out of it, he, he might be, you know, like, just let him take a few more punches so he doesn't have to, uh, you know, complain about the stoppage anyway. Because let me tell you something, Henry Cejudo showed the fuck up for this fight. He, you know, his striking was on point and he, you know, knocked out TJ Dillashaw, but that is vastly overshadowed by this stoppage that everyone was talking about. You know, he didn't really get an, an assertive, you know, a victory or an assertive, you know, outcome to this fight. Everyone's still talking about a rematch at, you know, flyweight or at bantamweight. What, when, the, where is the rematch going to happen? When's it going to happen? But I mean, that none of that would have happened if the referee could have let it go another ten seconds. Suhudo lands a few more punches, and then. Uh, you know, the fight is, you know, over and done with. But I would just like to see TJ go back to 135 pounds. I think this is just a failed experiment. I don't think he should have been cutting the weight. I don't think I don't think he really respected Henry Cejudo on the feet at all. It really got clipped for it. I think the weight cut, you know, drained his jaw. I think, it, you know, if the fight would have kept going on, I think the weight cut, we, we would have seen the weight cut wearing on TJ. Because, you know, TJ doesn't really get, you know, flatlined like that like, very often. Or, you know, it doesn't get clipped like that very I mean, maybe he does. He did get clipped by Garbrandt and, he, uh, and everything like that in the first round. So, you know, it, I'd like to see TJ go back up to a 35, challenge the winner of a Sunsal versus Marias, and then a Henry Cejudo challenge uh, Joseph Benavidez in that rematch. So no need for a rematch between these two. And, um, you know, great, great performance from Henry Cejudo. And now we're going to quickly recap the Bellator 214. Uh, Bator, ver, Bader, <laughs> Fedor versus Bader card. Just talking about the uh, the top uh, four fights on the card. Uh, Juan Archuleta and Ricky Bandejas had a really close fight. You know, that fight really could have gone either way depending on how you score fights. Uh, you know, I think uh, Archuleta did the better work. Uh, you know, he, you know, throughout the fight, he, you know, landed takedowns, was pushing the pace much more, but Ricky Bandet has landed a good amount of counter shots. He landed a lot, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, hard counters in this one that, uh, you know, really, you know, a really well-timed knee that really rocked Archuleta in the third round. He's, uh... Bandejas is really legit, nevertheless. He's got real power in his hands. He's got good takedown defense, good scrambling abilities. He's really well-rounded. But uh, Archuleta is also no joke, too. So um, a great fight between those two. Jake Hager came in, former uh, WWE wrestler Jack, uh, Jack Swagger, came in and, uh, you know, wrestled some uh, some some bum they found outside of a bar. Um, and then arm triangled him. Um, you know, good wrestling and submission from him. I hope to see him against a, a more legit opponent. Uh, Henry Corrales knocked out Aaron Pico. Aaron Pico, uh, you know, one of uh, Bellator's most highly touted prospects, gets a little overzealous after he rocks Corrales with a punch. Does not use his wrestling, some of his be the best wrestling in all of MMA. Just decides not to use it. 
goes for the knockout kill but ends up getting clipped himself and knocked out cold by Henry Corrales. A huge upset from Corrales. He was something like plus 500 to Pico at minus 700. So very impressive knockout from Corrales. You know, huge upset. And in the main event, we had Ryan Bader win the heavyweight Grand Prix of Bellator, knocking out Fader Emelianenko with a nice, you know, like a check, not even a check hook, like a, just a... A hooking jab, really, that knocked Fedor down. Then he followed it up with, you know, a, a nail in the coffin, a haymaker that knocked out Fedor cold on the ground, busted Fedor up, made him bleed all over the place. So, you know, pretty end, pretty sad end to the fight. You know, you get to have to see Fedor knocked out like that. Uh, you know, he has been, uh, you know, knocked out five times in his career now. Oh, no, four times. Uh, Dan Henderson, Bigfoot Silva, um Matt Mitrione and now Ryan Bader. So, you know, uh, one of the greatest of all time fighters, well up into his 40s now. It's, uh, you know, I'd like to see Fader just uh, either get go to Japan and start getting some, some TRT or some special supplements in him or, you know, just hang the gloves up because he's done enough for the sport and we don't need to see him knock that anymore. So, Great performance from Bader, though. Really, uh, what, what uh, sucks that this dude left this UFC. He's really one of the uh, best fighters in the world right now, and it's a shame that he's not in the UFC to fight the best of the competition. But still, he's getting paid over at Bellator. He's the double champ at Bellator, beat Fedor, and uh, is now uh, you know swimming in that money. So, uh, congrats to Bader. And uh, we're gonna move on to the last bit of news. The Nevada State Athletic Commission held hearings for John Jones, Khabib Nurmagomedov. And Conor McGregor, all on the same day, actually. I believe it was two days ago, Tuesday, the 29th. But um, the results of those were Khabib Nurmagomedov receiving a nine-month suspension and a $500,000 fine with an option to reduce the fine to the suspension to six months if he forms an anti-bullying uh, video. And uh, Conor McGregor received a $50,000 fine and six-month suspension. Uh, you know, I don't really know, I guess, really what for. I mean, uh, he did swing on some of Khabib's teammates in the octagon, but, you know, those 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 people were in the octagon to start drama. You know, Khabib, uh, Connor was, uh, was, you know, about to hop over the cage himself to go defend his, uh, his team while Khabib was attacking them. And then, uh, you know, one of uh, Khabib's teammates runs up on the cage himself and that's when connor swung on him so i guess that's what they 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 punished him for saying that connor swung on him and then i think he swung on uh islam makachev too or something like that so he definitely swung on a couple people in the octagon for the most part really defending himself you know there was that all that commotion going on in the octagon all these people trying to you know get their licks in on connor um you know a bunch of bunch of fucking savages trying to punch sneak attack a fighter who just had an 18 minute fight uh you, you know just they're just idiots uh abu bakbar Nurmagomedov, and zubaria tukhanov uh both of them they're fucking morons they both got one year suspensions honestly i think they should get a lifetime ban the one dude jumped the fence and not in the corner he ran he ran in from like a basically a spectator jumped the cage and punched the biggest ufc star in history in the back of the head bare knuckled a couple times how the fuck do you get one year suspension for that i mean that's insane you should they suspended nick diaz for five years for a weed 
for a failed marijuana drug test. And some thug jumps a cage of a pro fight after the fighter just had a, uh, an 18-minute pro fight where he fought his heart out. You know, took a ton of damage in that fight. And then he has to have some jackass hop the cage and punch him in the back of the head bare knuckle while he's not looking. I mean, that guy should never never be allowed to step foot inside a, a Nevada State Athletic Commission event ever. Um, that's Abu Bakbar or whatever his name are, is. You know, Zubaria, again, that guy should be kicked the fuck out of the UFC, never licensed again. He was bragging on social media after the fight. I promised I'd slap Conor McGregor and I, I came through on my promise. Um... Like, dude, like you, you literally said you premeditatively planned to attack a fighter after their fight, and then you did it, and then you bragged about it, and then you, you're completely oblivious to the fact that you lost your job. He had a fight scheduled. That fight got canceled, and you know now he's suspended a year. He, he was already on a two-year suspension for an anti-doping problem. Now he gets another suspension. You know, it would be a miracle if that fucking douchebag fought in the UFC again. And Khabib has the nerve to say that he's not fighting in the UFC until his his friends' suspensions are over. So that's saying that, oh yeah, my friends, you know, attack the fighter in the cage, you know, uh, attack the fighter in the cage after a fight. But uh, it doesn't matter. I'm riding or dying for them and I'm not fighting until their suspensions are over. They should have gotten lifetime suspensions. This this Khabib is so like naive to think that he is going to wait out their suspensions. He says he wants to fight in November. He was complaining so long, complaining about you know wanting to strip Tony Ferguson, wanting to strip Connor for not fighting, all this shit. And then he wins the belt, and all of a sudden he starts talking about fighting Floyd Mayweather, and he starts talking about not fighting for 13 months, doing the exact same things he was complaining about Conor McGregor about. So, I mean, you know, he's be- being really, really hypocritical about all this. He, uh, you know, the, his manager is, you know, the fucking biggest slime ball in all of MMA is saying that, you know, he, his the suspensions for Zubaria and Abu Bakr are, you know, unjust. They're like, oh, all he did was assault a fighter after, you know. If Connor wanted to press charges, he could have gotten them arrested. Like, there's, like, do you really not think that for an arrestable assault offense, you shouldn't get more than a year suspension? Who knows, man? They're all a bunch of fucking thugs, man. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying Connor is some is and his team are some, you know, group of angels. They're fucking thugs too. They ran into the Barclays Center and threw dollies through windows and attacked buses and shit. That's criminal behavior. Just like it's criminal behavior to jump out of a cage after a fight and to sucker punch fighters after fights with your bare, bare knuckles. All of them are acting like a bunch of criminals disguised as athletes or fighters. It's, you know, I'm not going to say it's it's a bad look for the sport because, you know, those, those two fuckers sold 2.5 million buys and those fuckers generated $90 million worth of revenue for Las Vegas in, in one night or something like that. So, I mean, you know, how bad can it really be? You know, if it's doing well for business, you know, we know that the UFC will 100% um, – like, you know, just keep up with keep up with this behavior if it's good for business. And you know what's even more sickening is the fact that after all of these fines, the fact that he got fined 
five hundred thousand dollars. Khabib, the fact that all these suspend, he said he's going to be paying for his his buddy's suspension. So something like Khabib is going to be paying seven hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of suspensions. That makes me believe that Con- that Khabib is more likely to take this rematch with Co- Connor just to make more money. Um, which which I really don't want to see happen. I really don't want to see happen for a number of reasons because. Connor has better fights. He can fight Cowboy or Nate Diaz or Dustin Poirier or Max Holloway or Jose Aldo. I literally just rattled off five opponents, who Justin Gaethje, Ally Quinta. That's seven opponents where he would have better fights. You know, he would have a better chance at winning, and they would probably be more entertaining for fans. But, or he could take this one fight, the, the worst fight out of them all, the fight that he's going to lose... You know, I don't. I really don't see how Connor beats Khabib. I really don't. Um, you know, he Khabib beat him in the grappling. He beat him in the stand-up. There's not really much to go on. Uh, so I, I really hope that that rematch doesn't happen. It would be like my worst nightmare for that rematch to happen. You know, Cowboy Donald Cowboy Cerrone he called out McGregor after his last fight, and, and Connor said, "I'll I'll I'll fight you." He tweeted, said Donald, or, "I'll fight you, Cowboy." So I mean, we, you know, both of them verbally agreed to that fight. We, re- I really, really hope that fight is next. I think that would be the most entertaining fight. It, it has the most personality, certainly between the two of them. You know, I think that Diaz and M- McGregor, the trilogy, that'll be, you know, that has a lot of personality behind it. But man, Cowboy, uh, he can talk back. He'll talk that shit. He'll, uh, you know, he'll create an entertaining stand-up fight, and it'll just be, you know, uh, a fucking pleasure of a fight to watch. So, really hope that Connor versus Cowboy is next. Um, you know, Con- Connor can fight again in I think April. So, you know, I I really could see him fighting May, June. You know, sometime uh, late spring, early summer. While Khabib might be waiting until you know fucking late fall or early December, which would be awful. So, um, I really, I mean. 13 saying a saying that you're gonna sit for 13 months is almost grounding for for stripping or at least another interim title for tony ferguson and dustin poirier hopefully so um and then the last uh piece of news on the docket we had john jones having his uh his um nevada state athletic commission hearing uh, you know, a bunch more steroid talk, a bunch more of, you know, smoke and mirrors, a bunch more of, you know, getting smoke blown up your ass. Who cares about all the anti-doping intricacies? Um, you know, they're, they're, they're so far behind. Uh, you know, they're, we're, we, we move past that. We know what's going on. There's, you know, the UFC is protecting Jones. They're pro- USADA is protecting Jones. I think that there's there's some shenanigans going on with, you know, the, the California State Athletic Commission. And uh, the UFC and, uh, you know, USADA, you know, John Jones failed another doping test for the same trace amount metabolite. So, you know, basically the same thing that they created all this controversy over, over removing the event, the same exact thing happened again. So who, who the hell knows really what to, to make of all of, the, all of it? There's so much, you know, bro science. There's so much uh, bullshit being spewed about like the, you know, the half-life and how much and picograms and uh, how you know how much of it it dissolves in your body i'm so over even talking about all that shit it's all it's all smoke and mirrors all that we know is john jones is licensed to fight in nevada he his fight with anthony smith for ufc 235 on march 2nd is on uh and we uh you know got ourselves a fight that fight was announced weeks ago we all thought it was official but you know they still needed that that uh they needed that uh uh 
license from the Nevada. So luckily he got it, and that fight will go on uh, March 2nd. But um, other than that, uh, I believe we covered every single piece of news for the past couple weeks. Um, we have nine weeks of UFC coming up in a row, I believe. So we will have nine episodes of uh, Martian MMA in a row. Uh, so, uh, you know, keep posted for each new episode. Um, follow me on Twitter at UFOUFC.com. And uh, check out our affiliated sportsbook, 5 The link to our uh, affiliated link will be in the description of the YouTube videos uh, or my Twitter. You can check it out that way. But this has been episode 47 of Martian Mixed Martial Arts. I want to thank you all for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the fights this weekend. And ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, aliens, Martians, any conscious beings tuning into the podcast, I thank you for tuning in to episode 47, and I will catch you guys next week. Peace. Thank you.